Welcome to Opening the Curtains. Today we will hear a story from Casey. She is the mother of an 11-year-old girl, a 6-year-old boy, and the caretaker of another 11-year-old girl. Casey's story is a good example of how even with supportive family and friends, a person can find themselves in an abusive relationship. My name is Casey. I'm not perfect, but I can learn. I have been abused and I have been loved. I don't come from a third world country and I did not grow up in poverty. I have not experienced a natural disaster and I have not lived through war. I have supportive parents who love me and friends who stick by me. I'm not your textbook example of a person who has come from nothing and built to greatness. Instead, I am an example of how even those without an obvious disadvantage in life can struggle. I am an example of how even your educated, middle-class American citizen can experience trauma and mental illness. I am your look okay on the outside while screaming on the inside. You're full of doubt with a smile. I'm the one with a hidden past made out of shame and a future built on hope. I'm the one who's tried to give up so many times that I know I will never give in. I am a mother, not the worst and not the best. I make mistakes. It's how I learn. Perhaps you relate. Perhaps you don't. Either way, I am me, and this is my story. My story begins with my earliest memory. A strange age to begin remembering, but it seems this memory wiped away all those that came before it. I was seven, staying at a family friend's house while my parents worked with foster kids at a summer camp. I remember his bad breath. I remember feeling confused. I remember hiding so well during a game of hide-and-seek because I was so afraid the wrong person would find me that I scared the babysitter into thinking I was missing. I fell asleep while I was hiding. I had tried to stay awake at night just in case he came for me. I remember him teaching me so I would know what to do when I got a boyfriend one day. I remember burying my face in my arms because I didn't want to see what he looked like without clothes but I still saw it, an image permanently burned into my brain. After five days, my parents came to get me. A few weeks later, I told my mom I had sex with him. My mom laughed and told me I was confused. I don't have many more memories until about four or five years later when my family moved into the house that I was raped in. We were renting the house from our family friends. I began cutting myself and became suicidal So my parents took me to counseling to figure out what was going on. And before long, what happened was brought to light. But even once I was heard, the hidden damage of the abuse was carried with me all the way into adulthood. You see, as a young age, at a young age, I was taught that my boundaries didn't matter, that my body was not mine to control, and that no one would believe me if I told the truth. I was raped again as a teenager without fully comprehending it was rape at the time. And I was molested two more times, at least with a little more awareness. I started to believe it was easier to just let it happen than to try and say no and face the consequences. I was lost, lonely, and seeking love in all the wrong places. I eventually made my way to college. I moved out of my house and into the dorms while while I took summer classes. Shortly after, I met my first husband. 
This man introduced me to a wide variety of drugs in one weekend, and without any explanation of the come down ahead of me, left. As the drugs wore off, I was convinced by the serotonin crash that I was a horrible person and that my life needed to end. So I tried to kill myself. Luckily, by some miracle, unsuccessfully. When I woke up in the hospital, the man had brought me flowers. He showed me affection and told me things I always wanted to hear. Before long, I dropped out of college and moved in with him. I tried more substances as a way to bury my pain and escape reality. And then about a month after I met him, under the influence of hallucinogens and more, I married him. Three months later, I got pregnant and sober. It was not until then that I saw this man for who he truly was. Once sober, I was forced to face reality. I was being emotionally abused and extremely controlled. I was told what to wear, what to eat, who I could talk to, and he made me believe I was crazy. I told myself I had to suffer the consequences of my choices, so I stayed with him for three years. Then one night, his behavior became so erratic that I not only feared for my own life, but also the life of our daughter. The next day, I decided I had suffered enough, and a few days later, we separated, and shortly after, I filed for divorce. This man was only physically abusive once, but his emotional abuse had torn me down to very little. After we divorced, he began stalking me, which leads me to the true monster of my story. One of my first husband's friends had become a close friend of mine as well. He stepped up as a protector when I got divorced. He would sleep on my couch and make sure I was safe. He would check on me during the day. He soon began working for my father and our relationship grew into a romantic one as he took on the role of father to my, at that time, two and a half year old daughter. I ignored many red flags, but it was not until three years later, shortly after our son was born, that he struck me for the first time. I was struggling after a very rough pregnancy and thought I deserved it because of how crazy I felt and must have been acting. Then, when my son was about seven weeks old, my doctor prescribed some antidepressants for postpartum depression. But he told me not to take them. That despite what the doctor said, they would mess up my son and I didn't need him. I just needed to get over it and stop acting crazy. About a week later, I tried to kill myself after a long argument with my so-called protector who was telling me to go ahead and kill myself. You're just hurting your kids by acting so crazy anyway. Things were never the same after that. He used this against me for the rest of our relationship and built up many more things to constantly use against me as proof of how crazy and unstable I was. Things grew progressively worse. I began treatment. I was seeking help and learning a great deal along the way. Unfortunately, I still believed his words. I believed that I was truly the entire problem. That if I could just fix myself, then our relationship would get better, and he'd finally show that he cares. If I could just do enough, then I could fix us, and he would love me again. We got married about a year and a half after my son was born, and our honeymoon is a great example of how the rest of our relationship went. On our honeymoon, I did everything he wanted to do and he refused to do anything that I suggested. The only thing he had agreed to do that I wanted was to go to a dance at the hotel we were staying at in the Dominican Republic, the Dominican Disco, because I love to dance. But on the last night of our honeymoon, when the dance was supposed to happen, he picked a fight with me because I tried to show him something I found that was cool on Facebook, but he wanted to watch cartoons in Spanish instead of talk to me. 
This hurt my feelings, so I stepped outside to take a few deep breaths. And when I returned, he told me he wouldn't go to the disco anymore because of my behavior. Unsure of what I did wrong, I apologized and begged that he'd still go with me. But he said my apology wasn't good enough and continued to break me down. He was calling me names and saying I was psycho and a selfish bitch and more. I finally lost it and ran at him. I felt so betrayed and broken, but what happened next, I never expected. He put me in a chokehold and he squeezed my neck tight. I remember thinking to myself, he's gonna kill me on our honeymoon. The next thing I remember is being on the bed and opening my eyes to see the phone on the table next to me. I stood up quickly and ran to the corner. He yelled at me and blamed me for being out of control. He claimed I was making a scene and that we could be arrested in a foreign country with how I was acting. He could not believe I would act this way on our honeymoon. I ruined everything. I was terrified. I said nothing. I did not sleep and stayed in the court on the entire rest of the night. The next morning was my birthday and we were supposed to go home. He woke and we almost went to breakfast, but halfway there he made us turn back, claiming everyone was looking at him like he was a jerk when really I was the one out of control. I wanted to die. I wished he had killed me. We did make it home and halfway there he changed his behavior to act as if he understood. He said he still loved me despite how I acted. I said my actions were not okay, but he understood and his actions were never mentioned. He was never held accountable for strangling me. I knew better than to say anything. About five months passed and we fought often as I grew weaker mentally. Then one day on the way home from a camping trip, I was so exhausted from the lack of help I had received with the kids and the non-stop demeaning remarks and anger from him that I got because I had asked for help. And we got stuck in traffic for hours. He would not let up. He was telling me I was just like my first husband, calling me manipulative, sick, bad mother, and much more. Finally, I, I broke and I flung my arm over and hit him in the chest out of anger. Then I pulled over the car and got out. I yelled at him to leave me there. And I saw a bag with some basic camping stuff and a pistol in it. And I thought to myself, that might be a good idea to have with me if I'm gonna be stranded on the side of the highway. So I reached for the bag. I had no intention of using the pistol. Grabbing the bag was impulsive. And he then got out of the car without a word. He never said, put the bag down or said anything about what was in the bag. He just came over and punched me in the eye, grabbed the bag and strangled me with his hands around my neck as he threw me to the ground. There I sat, afraid, feeling defeated and helpless. He got back in the driver's seat and yelled, get in or I'm leaving your ass. My daughter snapped me back to reality as she yelled, get in the car, mom, get in. So I stood up and I got into the car. It turned out that many had witnessed this and two different couples had called the police and said that a man was strangling a girl and there may have been a gun. We were pulled over shortly after. I was afraid and in the mindset that I had caused all of this. My heart ached for my children and I was so ashamed. He proclaimed he was trying to stop me from killing myself, and I admitted to hitting him in the chest, and I said nothing of what he had done to me. I was a fool. I was then arrested and taken to jail. The entire time, I fully believed I deserved what was happening, 
and that I was the problem, and that I was the monster. All of this actually turned out to be a great blessing in disguise, though. I was offered diversion since I had no previous trouble with the law, and I was sent to domestic violence treatment, where I learned what a healthy relationship actually looks like. I learned how to do my part to stop the violence, and I learned I had the right to be treated with respect. I also went to group and individual counseling. As time went on, I got healthier, but my relationship got worse and more dangerous. He became very physically abusive, especially while I was on diversion because he knew any call to the police about domestic violence would land me in jail and on probation instead of diversion, no matter who did what. He would threaten to call the cops and tell me I was hitting him when I was not even touching him, but in fact, he was punching me in the stomach or throwing me to the ground. I stayed with him for about two more years. During this time, he strangled me on two more occasions. He left bruises on my arms, fear in my soul, and chaos in my head. He would stalk up and down the halls with a gun in his hand as a way to show that he was in control. The physical abuse was hard, but the emotional abuse was so much worse. He was able to control me as long as he did because he made me believe that I was unstable and crazy, that I was mentally ill, and that I did not remember facts correctly. That I, in his words, destroy everything I love. He used my first marriage as proof and would say I am reacting to my first husband and not to him. He would say that I'm the common denominator. And I did act out at times. I did act crazy at times. After a while, I began hitting myself and sometimes I cut myself. And most days I wanted to die. Sometimes I would yell back at him. But I did these things because I was dealing with gaslighting, physical abuse, and severe mental abuse. I was trying to survive a world of extreme pain, confusion, and fear. I hated when I got it to the point of breaking because I knew every time I messed up, it gave him a way to blame me for everything and a way to ignore his own part. Mostly I hated when I acted poorly because I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to be better. But he strived to push me past my breaking point. He delighted in my chaos. One day, about three months before I escaped, he was fighting me, so I closed myself in my bedroom and tried to hold the door shut with my body. But he was too strong. He threw himself at the door, breaking it completely off the hinges. The door fell on top of me, with him on top of the door. Unfortunately, my children were home, home this morning, and they were hiding in my daughter's room. That day at school, my daughter told the social worker, whom I had actually asked to check in on her for another reason, what happened between her stepdad and me. She told me this when I picked her up from school, so I went to talk to the social worker. The social worker asked me if I was okay. Me. Me. Aside from my counselor, she was one of the first people to ask such a question, and I was completely caught off guard by it. I remember telling my daughter afterwards that I was proud of her for talking about what scared her, even though deep down I was horrified of what was going to come next. However, if it were not for my daughter's bravery, and if it were not for her speaking up and showing me how much she was hurting from the fighting at home, and the kindness of that social worker... I may never have gotten the courage to leave. Social services did come to our house after this, but they chose to talk to my husband and I together. I remember feeling so defeated, 
I knew I could not say anything in front of him, because the social worker would leave, and if I had spoken up for myself, I could have been killed. However, I was still seeking mental health treatment, and I eventually learned that everything was not my fault. And how to stay calm, despite being in the midst of immense pain, fear, confusion, and chaos. So I began standing up for myself, only to be met with words such as, the things you have done are far worse than me, no matter how you look at it. And there's no way in hell I would ever let my kids to be raised by just you and to turn out to be like you. And I should have let you die. I tried to hide money so I could seal my arrest record after completing diversion, for I knew it would play against me if I ever found a way to leave. But he would find out and he would take the money. Then one day, despite knowing that he had a great deal to use against me, and despite the fear I had of losing my children, or my life, or the worst, my children's lives, I worked with my counselor, and I planned a way out. I got a restraining order, and I filed for divorce. But my time in hell was not over. The final protection order hearing is one of the worst days of my life. I froze on the stand, struck into fear by the look in his eyes. I failed to say many very important things. For example, I failed to mention that he strangled me and bruised me or pushed me down and more. I admitted to fighting back at times and I was not offered the chance to explain the years of work I had done to change my behavior and, rem and remain calm no matter what. He used my mental health history against me, combined with many lies. The protection order was taken away and supervised visits between him and my son ended. Once again, I felt helpless and hopeless. I felt unworthy of protection, and I hated myself for not speaking up, for not telling the entire story, for freezing, for, for putting myself and my children in even more danger. I oftentimes wonder if I had taken advantage of the advocacy program for victims advocates um, through Family Tree, if that would have helped my court case go better. Um, at the time, I didn't think I needed them, but looking back, I think it would have been really helpful. During the next eight plus months, I lived in constant fear. I was in disbelief of the civil justice system. I was lied about in outrageous ways. Even my family was lied about many times throughout the proceedings. I also began to see the immense amount of damage our relationship had caused my children. My daughter has PTSD, anxiety, hypervigilance, and extreme self-doubt. My son has developmental delays due to trauma. He has a social pragmatic disorder. My children were far more aware than I realized, and they experienced situations that they never should have. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to feel, forgive myself for this. But since then, I have been working hard to heal and help my children heal. I've taken many classes from love and logic and co-parenting with an abuser to parenting traumatized children and more. My kids and I are in individual therapy to this day. Healing is a journey and it, I have to take it one day at a time. My situation ended better than most. My daughter only sees her father, my first husband, once a month for a few nights and days, um, 
but court ordered to be strictly supervised by his mother or his sister. My son sees his dad, my second husband, for a few hours on Sundays with no overnights until he can complete a variety of classes and have a home check done, which he has had far more than enough time to do. But he doesn't seem interested in getting any more time with my son, and he cancels his visits regularly. I still feel fear, especially when my children are away, but I am grateful to have my children with me the majority of the time. With me, they have the chance to learn how to overcome unimaginable challenges and what a healthy relationship really looks like. Now they can finally be supported and loved like I always wish that they could. I have learned so much through all this turmoil. I can say with confidence this will never happen to me again. I know what red flags and green flags are. I know that I will not tolerate being treated abusively. I know I still have a lot of healing to do, but the cycle of abuse will end with me. I will take the time to heal the wounds of my past so that I do not pass them on to my children or others. I will end with one more part of my story, the most recent part, the part about two years ago. In this part where I learned I needed surgery on my spine and my neck. I needed to have two discs replaced in my neck due to cervical stenosis, or in other words, the discs in my neck were intruding on my spinal cord, causing headaches, shoulder pain, loss of feeling and weakness in my shoulders, arms and hands, loss of balance. An issue rarely seen in someone of my age, unless some sort of trauma caused it. After some investigating, it was discovered that the trauma that had caused me to need multiple discs replaced in my neck was my second husband. It was not clear which time or if all of them played a part, but him strangling me in a chokehold caused long-lasting effects that I didn't even know about until long after leaving him. The damage of domestic violence goes far beyond what the eye can see, both physically and mentally. I've had the surgery and I'm healing well, healing well, sorry. Um, I can feel my hands and my arms and I am starting to dance again. The man who did this to me does not know my surgery was due to him. He doesn't deserve that satisfaction. And my kids do not know that he is the reason. They don't deserve that added fear and turmoil. But I know. I know that he tried to kill me inside and out. And I know he failed because I survived. I've shared my story with you in hopes that my nightmare might help someone see no matter how bad things are, there is a way out. Help is needed to get out, but it is possible to escape abuse, even with kids. I hope to show others they are not alone and that together, together we can stand up against domestic abuse and violence. I am now a volunteer at Porchlight Family Justice Center and I'm learning to be a guest navigator. I'm also the co-chair of an advisory committee for Porchlight called Voices, which is made up of violent survivors so that we can bring the perspective of victims to Porchlight to help guide their decisions in a trauma-informed way. I also just graduated from CSU Global with a bachelor's in business management and minors in small business entrepreneurship, marketing, and applied social sciences. And in this time, I have also become the caretaker to another amazing 11-year-old girl. I have been through a lot of adversity that could have held me down. But through this adversity, I learned I have the strength to face any challenges that may lie in my path. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my story.
Thank you for caring about those affected by violence. Together, we can save lives. Casey mentions Family Tree, which is a nonprofit organization addressing the issues of child abuse, domestic violence, and homelessness in the Denver, Colorado area. Casey's story shows us that early childhood abuse can make someone vulnerable to abusive relationships. Suicidal ideation can occur from constant belittling, emotional abuse, physical violence, sleep deprivation, gaslighting, manipulation, feeling defeated, helpless, and hopeless, self-blame, and shame. I'm happy to report her long and positive experiences with dancing has provided a coping skill that supports mental and physical health. She dances regularly, even if it's just in the privacy of her own home. I imagine it's with much eye rolling from her kids. Goodbye for now. Don't forget.